Hello and welcome to The Switch. This is a series where we talk to inspirational people, each of them wildly successful in their own fields, about the big turning points in their lives. I'm G Footit and I'm lucky enough to quiz these people about the precise mix of skills, behaviours, traits, drive and sheer grit that have got them to the top of their game. In particular, I'm interested in that pivotal point in their lives, the motivational light bulb moments that propel them to a new level. I want to drill down into that precise moment and find out what it was that convinced these remarkable people that they could switch up. But the switch is also about you. As the series goes on, I'll be taking your questions for our guests. But I've got a question for you first. Are you content with your life right now, your career? Are you considering making a switch of your own? Are you maybe looking for a new direction or the motivation to take that step up? Whatever your situation, I hope that you take inspiration from this show. To fill you in a little bit of background about me, I work for St. James's Place, the UK's largest provider of face-to-face financial advice. And I work within the Academy, which is a career change program which enables people to switch careers and become financial advisors. And we've helped over a thousand people make that very switch. To help inspire others to do the same, no matter what kind of switch you're considering, we're talking to extraordinary leaders in various fields, including entertainment, sports, and in this special episode, an expert of the human mind. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Taraka, who owns and runs Dr. Taraka Limited Speaking and Training. Dr. T, a huge warm welcome, and thank you so much for taking time to join us today on The Switch. Gee, happy Tuesday. It's so good to be here with you. We've called this episode The Shift as we want to explore how changes in our perspective can influence our careers and our life choices and how pursuing our passions can take us on unexpected but fulfilling paths. So um, mindset is something that is something I'm truly passionate about myself. Having been through a couple of major life, I guess, moments as we all have, one that stands out in my mind particularly was a redundancy quite early on in my career. And now with that life experience, I understand the process of redundancy, what it means, and and I would not take it personally should it happen to me now. But at the time, I did take it really personally. And I found it quite difficult to navigate those that emotional roller coaster of so much change, so much uncertainty. And I think it's the fear of the unknown sometimes. Um, But what I did learn through going through that change curve myself was that actually the next job I got was even better than the one I had before. But the power of the mind was something that sparked my interest. And I have a a background in in financial services with face-to-face with people and clients. And I wanted to understand the sales process, maybe more than anything. And actually, I have a qualification in performance and I have a qualification in neuro-linguistic programming, Dr. T. I don't know if you knew that about me. I did not (laughs) know that about you, G. That is an amazing surprise. And so I think those skills have helped me navigate future big challenges that have come up in my life and it's why I'm super excited that I'm in the room with you because you're taking this to a thousand levels above that. Our next guest is certainly someone with an abundance of entrepreneurial energy. He's a clinical psychiatrist turned TV doctor. He's a very much in-demand public speaker. He's passionate about teaching and helping others find deeper fulfillment in life. So I've been really looking forward to catching up with you in person because we've done some work together before. Um, Mm -hmm. Dr. T has worked uh, with St. James's Place on a number of occasions, Mm -hmm. speaking to both employees and our partnership, which is made up of the financial advisors that we that we train, not all of them, but we train a a vast majority of them. Mm -hmm. So um, having worked with you before, I was super excited about seeing you today and we, we wanted to get you onto an episode of The Switch. So this episode is going to serve two purposes. Usually we learn from the guest life experiences and we take from that, you know, nuggets of of information that we can use ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we will continue with that theme because you have a fascinating story yourself. You have some career change and switch stories yourself. Sure. But the other thing we wanted to focus on, having through the academy supported over a thousand people make that career change themselves, we actually created, SJP created a career change curve model. Mm. So I'll quickly flash this at the camera, but you'll see this on your screens at home if you're watching this on the video. Uh, If you are listening to this in audio, we'll have a link at the bottom so you can find that online. And it's a career change curve and it it maps out the stages that people might go through when they're making a big life-changing decision. Mm -hmm. So there's elation, there's fear, there's those highs and lows. So Mm -hmm. I would love to get your scientific expertise about what might be going through somebody's mind at each of those points. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm sure you'll have some amazing tips that you can share with people to navigate that. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. So I'm excited to, to navigate those two areas across this podcast. But before we get into those, let's learn a little bit about our guest. So Dr. T, tell us a bit about who you are, what you do, and how you got into the world of psychology. All right, G. Well, it's good to be here uh, with you in 3D. Uh, the last time we did some work together was in the virtual world, so it's lovely to be here in person with you. So yeah, my name is Tarika Gunarathna. People call me Dr. T. I have been a medical doctor for almost two decades now. I specialized in medicine of the mind and became a consultant psychiatrist. So I'm really fascinated about the space between your ears, between our ears, why we do what we do, what makes us tick, uh, our thoughts, our feelings that have an impact on our decisions, our actions, and therefore results. And actually, if you can understand the connection between your brain and behavior, you can walk away with two great outcomes. Number one, you can uh, boost your well-being, your fulfillment, you can feel better. Uh, who would say no to that, right? And uh, the, the second great outcome is actually you can upgrade your performance so you can improve the edge that you have both in personal and professional life, which again feeds into some of our core psychological needs. We love connection. We love growth. We love to win. We love to move forward. There, these are these are part of what makes us human beings in a very healthy sense. So yeah, uh, the connection between brain and behavior. I am, as you said, a TV psychiatrist, had a lot of fun doing some television. I uh, want to do more of that because I feel it's a great way to reach many people at once. And I love being a corporate event speaker, which is been my mainstay relationship with SJP over the years, which has been fabulous. So um, yeah, uh, that that's that's the story in a nutshell. I love that. So I'm just going to reel off your, your list of things okay. that you're brilliant at. So psychiatrist, <laughs> high performance expert and accredited speaker, mm. three times TEDx speaker, podcaster, recently appeared on celebrity TV shows. Um, you're the creator of the Mind Action Profit Blueprint. And I love your mm -hmm. tagline. You believe that when you manage your mind, you manage the bottom line. Right. Yeah. And the bottom line is different for different people. Of course, you know, if we zoom out and look at a business picture, then the bottom line is the financial. But actually, the bottom line or bottom lines in life can be manifold. So it can be financial bottom line. It can be your culture. Uh, it can be your relationships, your health, your well-being, your mindset. There are so many different bottom lines that we um, uh, we we want to get back into the driver's seat of an upgrade. And actually, there's a real strong argument to say that you can root this back to the space between your ears, between your mind, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you perceive the world, uh, the way you see yourself. Um, and that becomes a gateway to, well, your possibility, you know, uh, what, you know, what you do, how you perform and, and, and the impact that you create. Uh, so yeah, manage the mind, manage your bottom line or bottom lines in life that matter to you. Wow. It's so fascinating. And even just these little snippets that you're saying are just making me really excited about what we're going to hear. Um, so I was struck cool. by how often shifting perspectives yep. came up in your personal career story. Obviously we've, we've had, yep. we've spoken before through work and obviously we've right. done some research on you for the show. Yeah. So talk me through those changes and how they've influenced your work and your business. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, in 26, let me tell you a story, G. Tell me in, the story. In, in January, 2016, I was working as a consultant psychiatrist in my office. Do you know what? My office was a converted toilet and um, uh, they, they hadn't actually removed the sign off my <laughs> office door. So it still said toilet. And uh, it was built uh, on the ground floor, the floor above still had the toilet not converted into an office so um that, that was that was the setup that i was working in it was a really pokey little cubicle and i was on the computer january 2016 going through work emails and one of the global emails said ted is coming to town the conference and i don't know if you ever get these moments but i it just sort of like was highlighted to me i felt like oh my goodness this is for me i feel like this is a a place where I can share a message that can be of value to many, it can bless many. And guess what? The conference was all about shifting perspectives, which is interesting because that's exactly what you're asking about, yeah. right? And it made me think, I thought, you know what? In a sense, I do that for a living. I help people in the clinical scenario, patients, uh, shift their perspective to be able to see themselves, to be able to see the world and experience the world differently. And that can be through therapy, it can be through medication. But the idea is that 
when you change the lens, uh, you change your experience. And I thought, hey, maybe I could take something onto the TED stage. So I competed for that. Gee, I got a place and I delivered the closing act at uh, this conference. And because it popped onto YouTube, uh, the corporate world started to get hold of uh, the message and then they started getting in touch and then they said, hey, Dr. C, can you come and share your perspectives with us? Because it might help us understand our teams better, our clients better, the way that we work, our well-being, engagement, things like that. And I never planned it, but it just kind of grew from there. And that was a big perspective shift in itself, I guess, because, you know, what did I know about business as a doctor full time? Uh, what did I know about doing anything outside my own professional realm and skill set? So we could maybe talk about that a bit more, but that was a big perspective shift for me. Wow. Yeah. And what do you feel are the most common traits in people who harness shifts in perspective to make major choices in their lives? Mm, mm. Well, good question. This is a big one. Um, you know, uh, sometimes we shift perspective because of intrinsic causes and sometimes they are extrinsic causes. Let me explain. So a shift in terms of the way that we see the world and how happy we are with our current predicament can be because of our own wiring. That's intrinsic. Your personality, your story, your history, all that kind of stuff. Uh, personality traits as well. It might be that you're wired in a way that you kind of need to start something and then move on to the next something to start because that's what motivates and fascinates you. So if you're wired that way, um, if your dopamine and serotonin, your motivation and uh, fulfillment neuromodulators are at their best game when you're starting something, then you can see why someone like that would get bored going beyond the start phase of something. And then actually what that does is that it, it can actually induce a stress response, which then becomes uncomfortable for that person. Which is why, have you ever met someone that wants to start something and they're like, mm, you know what, I need to go off and start something else and stuff. Have you ever met It's someone? like the shiny object syndrome, isn't right. it? Oh, there's something shinier and newer over here. Right. I'm going to go over there. And I think you're right. I think sometimes for some that's about distraction. That's about, you know what, I don't maybe have the grit or the patience to see something through. And this is actually not floating my boat. And that's why I'm going to go change. I'm going to hop. I'm going to, I'm going to step to the side or whatever. And, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I'm, I'm saying that intrinsically that can be distraction that leads to a change. But what I'm also saying is that if you are wired in a way whereby you thrive on certain types of activities, so for example, I'm talking right now about starting up an idea or bringing a team together, creating a venture, that's motivating and fascinating. And once that phase has passed, the longer you stick at that, the more you actually have to work to manage your emotions, manage your stress when actually you just want to go off and start something else. Okay. So uh, intrinsic causes can, it can lead to change, but extrinsic causes as well. Did you know that like, like big events, now you just talked about one that you went through your redundancy. It'd be good to hear about that. But I mean, did, did that change your perspective? Did you feel that, that, that the, the, the actual act of going through something that happened to you shifted the way you saw life? Absolutely. It yeah. was the first time it happened to me. I was relatively young and very much early in my career. And yeah. it, 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 at the time, it was very negatively impactful mm. for me. Mm. But now, you know, with age, with experience... It's part of life. Mm. It's not a personal, usually it's not a personal situation. Redundancy is mm. often, it's a sort of a bigger, much bigger picture than just yourself. Sure. Um, yeah, I would say so. It's just understanding the workplace, what it's like and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Did it make you more motivated following? Possibly, yeah. Possibly. Yeah. The reason I ask is because now we're talking about extrinsic causes that can create change. For me, and this is deep and it's meaningful, for me, it was the death of my younger sister, actually, 2013, she passed away with leukemia. It was a sad, sad time. And I think for me, that was a fork in the road. I didn't ask for it happened. And it led to some messy growth in me. I think, you know, I, I started to get hungry for, um, a more meaningful life. I started to value, um, uh, you know, how, temporary life is and therefore like, you know, spending it well, you know, uh, for myself and probably for others as well. I wanted to, I, I wanted something deeper with meaning and purpose in my life. I was spiritually hungry as well, I think. So, um, that I would say that was an extrinsic event. Um, and interestingly, and we could talk about this more, but 
traumas, small t traumas, things that happen to us. It could be a redundancy, it could be a loss, it could be a bereavement. It could be, I don't know, it could be moving house and leaving the community that you're really well established with uh, and then having to start up again can really pull the rug from underneath your feet. But at the same time, it can really hit the reset button for something fresh, something new. Absolutely. So intrinsic causes for change, how you're wired, extrinsic causes for change, things around you that happen mm -hmm. that you're part of. Wow. Fascinating. So I'm very sorry to hear about your sister. Oh, and I completely you. understand that a bereavement, especially a close family member, mm. often changes people's perception. Mm. I hope in the long term for that, you know, don't waste a second. Life is short. Mm. Let's really, really make the most of that. So I, I can relate to that. And I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening mm. that can relate to that. Mm. And how would you encourage your clients to embrace change and use it to their advantage? Because I think change is scary for most people. Mm. And change doesn't have to be as big as a career change. Mm. It could be as small as something in your routine, mm. but people are fearful of change. So how mm. do you encourage clients to embrace that? Yeah, this is such an interesting topic. So change is, you know, good and bad. It depends, you know, so, uh, and again, that depends on our, our posture and how we view things. The reason I think that, you know, change, it depends. It's your change is not a good thing or a bad thing. It depends. Uh, we like going on holiday and we tend not to go on holiday in our living room. We tend to get on a plane and go somewhere else. What is that called? That's called a change, right? So some changes are absolutely welcome. You go and watch a movie in the cinema, probably something you've never seen before, because again, it's a change of environment. It's a change of experience. I'm being immersed in a story I haven't been living myself. And so there are many changes in life that we value, that we enjoy, that we uh, get variety from, and that's really great for mental well-being. But there are also changes that are very disruptive and create stress. Um, and so if we zoom into the brain just really simply, uh, the front part of your brain, the frontal lobe, um, it's like the CEO of your brain, uh, G, and it helps you make decisions and it helps you uh, select between choices. It helps govern personality. Um, it helps you focus and concentrate. Now, uh, we are creatures of habit. Uh, habits are... Did you know this? You can actually see habits in your brain with a microscope powerful enough, like they're physical neurological roads. Wow. Yeah. So habits are not just like how we behave, but they are hardwired circuits that play like a chord in our mind that result in certain types of behavior that we do on repeat unconsciously. Is that why people use the term ingrained in your mind? Well, I, I guess that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes complete sense. Oh, it is so fascinating, this subject, and it could just go down so many different avenues. Mm. So um, you spoke before about your, was the TED Talk your first public speaking engagement or had you had others, like what led uh, you to yeah, public speaking? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, as a, as a doctor, I trained medical students over and over and over again. And gee, I tell you, that was like one of my favorite things to do Love. as a doctor. Um, when I was in medical school, um, what, what did you do in uni, by the way, when going back to college or uni? What was your subject? I'm I actually curious. didn't go to university at university age, but I'm studying in university now. Wow. At what? Henley Business School. Amazing. And are you in lectures as well? I'm just curious. I do go to the odd day here and there in person. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, okay. I mean, like, so for me, I could not pay attention to lectures. And I think largely that was to do with... So here's me blaming the world. Do you see what I'm about to do? Largely, that was to do with everyone else and not me. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad that you do it too, even though you're so well trained. You, you do it too. It gives me comfort. I found the style of communication difficult to follow and find it engaging. And I would sit there in a lecture going, right, today's the day that I'm going to pay attention for the next 55 minutes. I'd slap myself across the face and then <laughs> the lights would dim in the lecture theater and it'd be warm. And after the first like 10 seconds, my mind went somewhere else and I thought, you know what, I'll just catch up with this later on. But I felt like, hey, wouldn't it be nice if all this medical stuff could be communicated in a way to students that they would understand that they could actually take value from? I wanted to do that. Wow. And so I kind of did that organically. I didn't plan it. Um, part of being a doctor is to train other students and doctors in training, which I did both. I did both camps and I was good at it. I remember what it was like to be a student and I remember how much I wanted something to be explained in a psychologically safe way so that, you know, as a student, you wouldn't feel silly or 
Do you know what I mean? You've, like, uh, like unsafe to speak up and ask questions. Absolutely. Psychological safety is something we're leaning into a lot at work at the moment because mm. you do need your team to feel safe to challenge or to ask questions without, without fear of repercussion. You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So I wanted to be a psychologically safe, excellent communicator for people who wanted to learn medicine. Wow. And so I did that for years and years and years and years and years. Those were probably my first unofficial public speaking engagements. And Ted was probably the first public public speaking engagement. Fantastic. And if you can hold the attention of those students, yeah. then you know that you're really good at this. I, well, I, I think you're right. I think attention is the gateway to transformation. If you can hold someone's attention, then you can create influence and also value, right? Like even in this, in, in the switch, right? You, this is grabbing the attention of people out there who are thinking about change and hey, well, like, where do I fit in into the world? I've done something for a while. Is it something, is it time for me to do something different? Like this is like literally holding their attention so that they can get value. So I think, yeah, where there is attention, there is the opportunity to create positive influence. Absolutely. So what do you think draws your clients to your work? How does your work impact your clients and set the foundations for their success? I think what draws them is their natural appetite for growth. I think everyone has an appetite for uh, some kind of progress, whether it be in their personal life or professional life. Generally, people say yes to all of that. People want to better themselves in some way. And I think that it's very applicable. Everyone has a mind. Pretty much everyone says that they would like to understand themselves and others around them a little bit more and get more out of life. And so, you know, at it's very fundamental at its root, at its core. Or what I talk about is that when you renew your mind, you can experience transformation in your life. Uh, I think that's a universal message that, you know, uh, people of many ages get and understand and have an appetite for. Um, and in terms of like how that creates influence in, 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 in their uh, spheres of life, um, it is about optimizing both worlds together, personal and professional life together. I call it personal professional life symbiosis. They're both kind of interrelated. It's very easy to win at one and kind of ignore the other. You can be great at business, but kind of ignore your health or a relationship that you have with one of your kids. And so uh, like understanding that uh, a, a, a foundation to high performance is the management of both of these worlds together is, is, is how I help people grow um, in different uh, business capacities. That is brilliant. Something that flashed in my mind when mm. you were speaking there, you said that most humans have an appetite for growth. Mm. And I read a book about growth mindset, but it also mentions a fixed mindset. Yes. So talk me through those two different types of mindsets. And yep. I, I'm, I'm guessing you work more with people with a growth mindset, but what about those people with a fixed mindset? Mm. Mm. So you're referring to Carl Dweck's work on uh, growth and fixed mindset. Essentially, uh, the findings show that the belief that you have about your growth capacity. So if I believe that I can get better at my grades in school, we would call that a growth mindset. If I believe that, hey, you know what? The uh, intelligence that I have is fixed, can't really improve it. That would be a fixed mindset. And those with a growth mindset, let's say in the school setting, actually show an improvement in their grades. You know, if they get seven out of 10 in a math test, they go, okay, wow, I got seven. And those three that I didn't get, now I know how to get them in future growth mindset, right? So that becomes the road for improvement. The fixed mindset is, okay, they get nine out of 10, let's say. Okay, great score. Oh, see that one that I didn't get just shows that I'm, I'm, I'm not, not that great. Not that I'm, I'm not perfect. Um, it's all downhill from here. And, and, and. The kids with fixed mindsets actually didn't level off in their grades. They, they showed a decline. So it became a negative spiral. Um, and this concept uh, is very reproducible in its findings. It essentially, as Henry Ford says, if you believe that you can, then you can. And if you believe it, you can't, you can't. Um, or you're right, you know. Um, I love that. I love that saying because yeah. it really brings you back to the moment if you are having doubts yeah. it's like well if i'm going to have doubts it's going to negatively impact what i'm you're, doing yeah, you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and we see it in our own life and did you know that you can actually 
influence the performance of someone else by the belief you have on them. So there's something called the Pygmalion effect and the Gollum effect. Uh, The Pygmalion effect is where, like, let's say, for example, you have a school teacher or a manager or a parent, someone with an authoritative position that's leading someone else or bringing them up. If they have a healthily high level of expectation on that person, like, oh, yeah, you know what? I never needed to check up on you. I knew you were going to turn that project in over the weekend. I like I, I knew you had that. Um, what is shown is that that healthy belief that that superior quote unquote has actually induces an improvement in the performance of that person. Now this applies if you're a leader, manager, teacher, parent, the converse is true. It's called the Gollum effect. The Gollum effect is if you have an unhealthily low expectation, oh, for goodness sake, I knew you weren't going to, you know, or maybe I like, I, I can't even trust you with that. Uh, that level of belief can have an impact on the person's performance and actually create self-fulfilling prophecies. So that person does stuff up and you go, see, I told you, you do suck. (laughs) Okay. So like the growth mindset can be internal, but actually can have an influence on those around you, which is so important in the work situation. It's so important in parenting. It's so important in uh, the education situation as well. Absolutely. And as you were speaking there, I, I can think of moments in my life where both of those things have happened. So somebody's you know, expectations or maybe some kind of negative influence, and it does impact you quite a lot. But actually mm-hmm. what is wonderful is that positive influence that lots of people can have. So totally. I think we can all think of our favorite teacher or our, our favorite manager at work or whatever that might be. So exactly. That's really fascinating. Yep. Okay. So you're a multifaceted entrepreneur from being a practicing medical doctor an educator to becoming a TV doctor and accredited speaker. Mm. You can talk about that crossover moment in roles and how your skills and expertise is developed across them. Mm. What would you encourage other people to do to develop this kind of skill set and resilience? The skill set and resilience bit. Let's let's talk about them in two two halves then. So the skill set, you know, for me, I feel like, well, I'll let you into a secret. We love secrets. I never wanted to be a doctor. Wow, that I was not expecting. (laughs) I wanted to be a graphic designer. Okay. Okay. So when I was in school, I was great at it. I loved the idea of expressing yourself in artistic ways, but in the confines of straight lines and angles and measurement. Okay. Which in a sense is the fundamental for good communication. It's like, can you take someone on a journey that makes sense? So there's a degree of like, there are some rails but can you communicate in a creative way? So I love digital creative art. I love music. I just got myself a MIDI controller. I can't wait to use it. I'm like, I'm so into that, G. But um, my parents told me I will become a doctor. And as a Sri Lankan kid in 1980s Scotland, uh, you do what you're told. And I got onto the conveyor belt of medicine. Uh, why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because the the internal passion that I had. You were you're asking the question about how do you develop skills? If you develop, if you if you if you develop the things that you are naturally motivated and fascinated by, it's much easier to grow in those ways. It's really hard. I find it really hard. I mean, I I I I got you know I got straight A's in subjects I didn't want to sit to get into medicine. That was hard, hard work for me. It was like trying to fit a square peg through a circular hole. And, you know, like I did it with a great degree of force and I got into medical school and it was just really, really hard because like, you know, being a doctor is very prescriptive. You do things by the book, literally. That's what doctors do. They prescribe, mm. you, you know, you have disease X and then so the prescription table says this is what we give for that, right? So there's a huge, there's a huge amount of, 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 of prescriptive activity. And for me, like I wanted to create, I wanted to explore, I want, I wanted to do all of these things. And I think that uh, I mentioned one of my big turning points in 2013, the, the passing of my sister. I think that some of that sort of came alive and I do that now. I do that so much, right? So I talk on a stage, uh, I do stuff on camera. I do a lot with computers. I uh, design my own, uh, decks and things like that. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing that. And I think that I just, I, you know what, I never suppressed what I was passionate about. Uh, And I also wanted to make it a positive thing. So I wanted to make sure that I was serving people around me. I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, uh, uh, in some way creating a positive impact in the lives of other people. So being a servant in a sense was like 
really important to me. Um, so I would say that, that, you know, like it's like camping around what you're passionate about is, is going to go a long way. Such valuable advice. And I think that's the key to being fulfilled and have having the feeling of purpose. Mm, yeah, for, for sure. For, I, I, absolutely. And, and then should we talk about the resilience bit as well? Because yes. you did ask about that, because yeah. I think the two do go hand in hand. The word resilience comes from the French re-salir. And salir means to jump and re means back. So the, the word resilience means to jump back. What resilience is, is you might imagine a stress ball. So you might imagine just crushing a stress ball in, your, in the palm of your hand and you, with force, bend it out of shape. And then if you let go, it pops back into shape. That's an example of resilience. It's jumping back into its original form after it's been decompressed. Okay. So that's really what resilience is, is can you regain your original form after you've been crushed? And we have to go through, like we all went through our resilience training, didn't we, in the pandemic? There were so many different ways that we were being crushed and stretched, whether it be financial or you're working from home and you've got a kid hanging onto your ankle while you're trying to take a call going, mommy, mommy, what's the iPad code, right? And we've both been there. And um, uh, we've, we've been bent out of shape. And the question is, can you return back into shape? That's resilience. But we, we also talk about um, uh, resilience uh, 2.0. Have you heard of this? I haven't. Uh, okay. So like, are you familiar with like post-traumatic stress, right? You go through some kind of uh, event and as a result of that, you have um, a whole bunch of negative challenges, problems. Okay. Post-traumatic growth is resilience 2.0. And we don't talk about this. We talk about, you know, if you go through a bad time, obviously you have to repair. But sometimes when you go through a difficult time, you come out stronger than you would have if you didn't go through it in the first place. Yeah. And I think that I am um, an experimental case of post-traumatic growth with the bereavement that I went through. So I think that I have, and I count my lucky stars. I'm thankful for this. I feel blessed that this has happened. It didn't have to happen this way, but I feel like I've experienced a degree of growth. So I would say that you need the resilience and the skill set together. I think you were right, G, to, to couple them together because like, like, Outworking what you love um, doesn't always make a living. Do you know what I mean? And then it gets scary and it's like, oh my goodness, I want to do that, but I have to do my nine to five. And, and so you've got to stay resilient and you know have a plan that you can stick to, to a degree. Absolutely. Yeah. And often when people are coming to St. James's Place, they're starting a business. So resilience right. is super important for those people. Right. It's not linear success. Right. So... Yeah, you are, you're, abso you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And, and patience, you don't think that's a, that's a big part of it, right? It's like being able to stay patient on the journey. I, this is this is interesting. The word, the word patience comes from uh, a word, passius, which is where we get the word um, passion from. And even patient, like a doctor and a patient. Patient, the uh Patient actually means the one who suffers. So when we talk about, I've got so much passion for something, you're, it really means that you are, um, you, you are willing to suffer through thick and thin for that thing. Wow. That's passion, which is patience, which is the one who suffers. Interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. I've never heard it explained yeah. to me that way before. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, we want to look at the light bulb moment okay. when someone makes that switch to mm. a whole new realm of success. Mm. So, Dr. T, there have been lots of switch moments in your life. Mm. What would you say is the one that pushed you to a new level? Uh, so I, I'm quite clear about this one. It was when I actually left my full-time employment, when I took the leap. That's a really scary moment. Super scary. Gee, super scary. Because I have known nothing other than to sit on the conveyor belt of education and employment and be given a paycheck and to clock in and work more than the hours I'm contracted for every week and live that way. But it was during the pandemic. It was when we were all in lockdown and a lot of my work became virtual as a psychiatrist, actually. Uh, a lot, not all. I still had to do inpatient work and a, a ward. But uh, outpatient appointments I could do virtually. And so, I, you know, we all went through a shift, right? It felt weird, right? It yeah. felt weird like you didn't have your buddy across the desk and water cooler chat and things like that. It felt, did it feel weird for you? Definitely. Yeah. De the world has completely changed since then. But back then it was new. It was, we'd never experienced working in this way before. Yeah. yeah. All the time. Yeah. So. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So 
I'd been removed from what I knew. That was an extrinsic change. That was an extrinsic change, right? So like I now had to start experiencing my working life in a different way. I was in a room above the garage in my house on a laptop doing video calls and doing psychiatry. And and so that was different. At the same time, G, um, I had the opportunity to shoot for my first television show. Uh, it was a so my first experience of being on a television show, so it was called Can I Improve My Memory? It was hosted by Sandy Toxvig and was uh, released on Channel 4. I was a coach to some celebrities to help them achieve superhuman memory. Now, can you imagine what this is like? On annual leave, I'm jetting off down to London and we're wearing masks and there's a COVID on-site supervisor and we're shooting this show. And then I jet back and then the next day I'm back to work and I'm doing a clinic and I'm literally living a double life like this for five weeks. Wow. And when I had both of these lives next door to each other, I just felt like, okay, the world's a different place. I've tasted a higher degree of uncertainty in this pandemic now than ever before. I feel like I want to now take the jump. And so I took the jump and uh, I wrote my um, resignation letter, deleted it, wrote it, deleted it, wrote it, deleted it. I think we've, I think many of us have done the resignation <laughs> letter. <tats. laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, um, did that. Hey, you could get chat GPT to write one now. I, mean, I can, could, can you? Hey, chat GPT, write a really nice resignation <laughs> letter that does not burn bridges with my employer so that if things go wrong, I the can return. <laughs> written by a 41 year old male in Scotland. Please. Boom. <laughs> in 200 words. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have chat GPT then. So I, I wrote it, delete, wrote it. Delete, 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 and eventually I did it and, um, um, you know, made the jump. But I will say this ever since then, I have been building the plane as I fly it. And that is very different to having a paycheck. I love that analogy. Building the plane as I fly. Having just flown here today, the thought of doing that is absolutely terrifying for most people. Just, for sure. Just that analogy. Uh-huh. Um, so talk me through the deleting of this letter then. Why was it? So, how many times did you write it? How how long did it take to think of, like, I'm doing this now and then actually hand that letter to somebody or email it? I think it's the fear of loss slash the fear of change, right? Ultimately, So when we experience fear, the limbic brain, your amygdala and other associated areas in your brain uh, light up. It's the threat detection center of your brain. It's the burglar alarm system of your brain. Your cortisol goes up, your adrenaline goes up and uh, you feel fear. And we like to be self-preservatory. We use that signal as, you know what, don't do that. Step away from the edge of that diving board. It's a little bit high. You don't need to, why don't you take the ladder? You know, uh, don't jump. And and so I think that that ambivalence played out in a dance of right, delete, right, delete. Because you know what? I'm deleting my, let's get a little bit deep here. I'm deleting my parents' approval of me. That's, That's a bit huge. Deep. I'm deleting, you know, I'm, I, I'm deleting everything that I have worked in. I'm deleting every, you know, I'm, I'm deleting the predictability of the next 30, 40 years of employment. Do you see what I'm saying? Paycheck. I'm deleting the security of a paycheck. I'm deleting the relationships I had with my colleagues. That was, by the way, that was probably the number one thing that kept me in my, I just, I love teams. I love working together. I love people. I love, you know, and so... Um, that was the, that was the biggie that I felt like that was going to be difficult to let go of. So I think, I think it's things like that. So would you say that the change moment was more the new skills you'd experienced or a shift in perspective? What, what exactly do you think it was that made you write that letter? We're often motivated by love or fear. You know, uh, these are just generally the two biggest neuropsychological drivers. It's things that we're passionate about will draw us toward it. And there are things that we're afraid of that we'll run away from. And when you combine them, you get an increased level of motivation. Studies have shown that. Um, So it was a mix of that. It was a mix of, I'm really passionate about getting into this new space and reaching people in a different way and being more creative and doing my own form of like graphic design now or communication design. So there's a, a ton of passion that's drawing me toward that, right? I was thinking in a clinic, I'll see one person 
in 60 minutes. In a corporate speaking event, I could speak to 10,000 people in 60 minutes. And so the, 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 the um, ROI for the audience is much higher that way, right? So I'm really passionate about that. But I'm also afraid of staying stuck in a painful state for too long, knowing that, you know what, this isn't me. I'm doing the square peg in the circular hole thing. I know that life is short and valuable. I feel like I've got a calling and a purpose. And if I kind of don't like act on that, I'll stay stuck. So I'm kind of afraid of the pain. I, I, by the way, I had a, I had a burnout as a consultant psychiatrist in, uh, you know, um, uh, oh, I don't know, um, year 2017, 18, something like that. Uh, uh, like uh, it was stressful for me. Um, so I didn't want to sort of stay on that as well. So passion and pain, two different motivators. And th they can work together to make it even stronger. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think there was a study done where they had a rat in a tube and a smell of cheese at one end and the rat was connected to um, like a Newton meter. So the force that pulled with was a measure of its like physical motivation for the cheese. Okay. So we have like a certain reading, but if you have cheese at one end and the smell of a cat, the other end, you have more pull. So what I'm trying to say here is that the passion centers of the brain are lit up and you'll get drive. The fear centers of the brain are lit up, you get drive, add them together, which life is about. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, you get a greater result. <laughs> I love the analogy. Brilliant. So Dr. Taraka Limited Speaking and Training is mm. your first business. So your, yeah. your first quest into entrepreneurialism. Uh, well, yeah, unplanned. So what made you take that leap to be your own boss? Because I guess you could have been a, a, a corporate speaker. You could have been employed to do that potentially. Uh, yeah. So what made you do that? You know, go out on you're your You're going to love this answer. You're going you're gonna to actually love this answer. It was a St. James's Place partner. <laughs> <Yes. not> <laughs> and he's a friend of mine and uh i love him dearly his name's gregor howitt of gregor howitt wealth management based up in aberdeen and in 2017 he said can you come and speak at one of my client events but how do i do that in an official way was kind of the question in my head because up to that point 2016 i had just been I did the TED talk and then I did some business breakfast and things like that. It was all low key. I was never paid for it. It was, you know, something I did as a hobby on the side, evenings, weekends, breakfast, things like that. But then this was much more official. And then I thought, well, now I'm going to have to like get official about this to make this very separate from what I do at work to what I'm now doing. And so I went online and went to a formation company and filled in the forms and then created Dr. Tarika Limited and then found a bank account and connected it all up and blah, blah, blah. And then I became, I think what you call a business. I have no idea what I'm doing right now. And, but I feel now I can legally show up to an event and speak. And, um, uh, and, and that became the start of Dr. Limited, an SJP client event, and that was Gregor. And um, yeah, he's a great man. I did not know that story. Nah, yeah, and yeah. that is, yeah. well, obviously a coincidence, but um, yeah. a fantastic story. Now, you've mentioned a few times about your passion for helping people. Yeah. What are the key traits that fueled your drive and sense of purpose? Mm. Are they instinctive or do you have to master them consciously? Um, and do you have any advice for our listeners on how they can do the same? Because I think purpose is a wonderful driver of a, of a fulfilling career. Sure, sure. I, I mean, I love this topic, purpose. Uh, I actually work with SJP partners on this topic in coaching, living your life on purpose. And that's really about digging up some of the new neuro circuitry that you have in your mind that makes you you, understanding what your natural alignments are and then doing more of that thing uh, to serve yourself and serve others. And that's actually less stressful and it's more motivating, right? Because when you, when you start acting out in accordance with your core values, you're not going against some of those like habitual circuits that we're talking about before. So uh, I'm like really big on purpose to make this really practical for listeners. You know, you could ask yourself the question, well, what do I love? Am I good at it? And could it make money? Right? Three columns, make some ticks um, uh, in some tick boxes and have a think about, you know, what are the things that you m motivate and fascinate you? Do you love it? Because if you do, then um, uh, you're, you're going to increase what we call goal attainment probability. 
So if you do something that you love, you'll literally light up parts of your brain that will increase the chances of you achieving goals that you set for yourself. That's interesting, right? Goal attainment probability. Uh, so yeah, what do I love? What are all the things that you love? Make a list of those things. And then next question is, well, what are you particularly good at out of all those things that you love? And, and by the way, could, could, could you see a way where you could create revenue out of that? Like would literally people exchange money for the value that you create of that, which you love and are good at? And that's just a really like practical exercise pen on paper that you can do today. Right, no. you can hit pause right now on this podcast and go do it right now. Do it, hit pause, go and do the exercise. <laughs> and then come back and listen to the rest of this. <laughs> and uh, so, like, you, 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 could, you, could, you could do that. Um, another question that you can fill, this is practical. I am here so that blank can blank. That's a statement that you can fill in. I am here so that blank can blank. The first blank is the person that you're here for. Could be someone in your family, could be your pet, could be your clients, could be kids that you teach, whatever. Like all the different people that you're here for. I am here for Tom. I am here for Simone. I am here for whatever, my clients. I am here for, so that they can what? And the second blank is the value that you create or the enablement that you create for them in their life, right? So if you can start putting feelings into words, I am here so that so-and-so can so-and-so, you start to now create a narrative of purpose. In other words, if you took you off the planet, those people can't achieve that thing that you were there to create, right? So now like you are creating a scaffolding, a psychological scaffolding around the sense of you matter and the fact that you he exist here um, uh, creates a tangible outcome. Wow. Yeah. I love those really practical steps that people can take literally yeah. right now Yeah. and just start thinking right about these things. Yeah. Uh, thank you. So what would you say to people listening who mm. might be considering their own big leap in mm. their lives or their careers? Yeah. What key things have you learned from your experiences and your professional point of view? Some of this we've covered, and I should preface this by saying that this is just from my experience. This is not the only way to take a leap. But um, uh, again, uh, it is about being clear on what you are passionate about and good at and can create value in. You know what? Let me back up. I actually have a model for this. I've actually like designed a model for this and um, I call it the success triangle. So if you draw yourself a triangle, one side of the triangle is mindset. You absolutely need the mindset to do it. Yeah. The other side of the triangle is the skill set. You need to be able to have the practical skills. And the third, the, the, the bottom piece of the triangle is the vehicle. You need a way to be able to outwork the mindset and skill set that are combined together. And there's a big circle that goes around this triangle and that's a market. Right, that's like there have to be people out there that are going to benefit from your mindset, skill set and the vehicle together. There you go. That's that is my model. I've just drawn it on a like piece it? of paper. I do really like it. Mm. Um, with your permission, I'd love to be able to share this with people yeah, afterwards. Just have a little look at it quickly. Sure. Because you mentioned mindset, skill set, having a vehicle, and then that's surrounded by the market opportunity. Sure. But what if I don't have all of those things? Mm. Well, you want to get around people that can help you with that. You want to get around people that can provide that for you. So I don't have to have all of them to start thinking about moving. I just need to find a way to achieve them maybe. Exactly. Okay. Um, uh, so it's a really important component of my experience, at least in terms of moving forward. And that, that is um, getting connected with a community that's going to help you. Uh, with like-minded people that are further on than you that have kind of walked the well-trodden path ahead of you and can give you answers, can give you training, can give you opportunities, things like that. Um, and so um, the mindset piece, I would say, is uh, really for one to work on and, and, and master. Um, and like, you know, like what we said before, if you believe you can, or if you believe you can't, you're right. So like that becomes in a sense, the gateway to, you know, what is possible, manage your mind, manage your bottom line. So mm, then, yeah, absolutely. And then skill set, for example, yeah. let's say I do want to become a financial advisor. Mm. I've never done that before. Mm. I need to find somewhere or someone that can help me learn the trade, if you like, mm. Mm. learn the skills. And you mentioned that the Makes vehicle sense. could be the SJP Financial Advisor Academy to help mm. you get the skills. You can help yourself with your mindset. People can also help you with your mindset. 
So I love it. It's a really simple model mm. and just those practical tips you've given people to start thinking about ideas for themselves mm. is brilliant. Thank mm. you. And I think it leads, leads us quite nicely to, we mentioned right at the beginning, mm. the career change curve model mm. that SJP Academy has created based on helping a thousand people transition careers before. Mm -hmm. And this is an, an example of the different phases of things that your mind and you might go through. Okay. So the first step is acceptance and this is acceptance that something you want something to change mm. so i guess we already spoke about that push and that pull the mm. rat the rat analogy with the, the the smell of the cat and the smell of the cheese mm. there might be um something pushing you away from your current career mm. but also something luring you to your new career so let me ask you about that for you in terms of self-employment was mm. there like uncapped earnings or what was it that self drew you to self-employment? Oh, that's a good question, G, because I don't know if there was anything that actually drew me to that particular <laughs> idea, other than I sort of fell into it by accident, uh, by default, in a way, mainly because of the struggle of the push and pull for me. Yeah. For me, it was the push and pull, and then I accepted that I could not put up with that level of conflict within me. My heart was elsewhere, my energy, my passion. I was good at it, make a difference. And the only way I could continue to do that is if I freed up my time to do that. So it just became like an act of logic in in, in the end. Uh, but here on this uh, model here, it's called acceptance. In motivational psychology, we talk about the cycle of contemplation whereby, or uh, contemplation for change, which is really all about the stages that the human mind goes through when you want to make a change. Like say, for example, I want to give up smoking or I want to change my diet or do more exercise, then the mind needs to go through some levels of realization that actually change is necessary so that the action can take place. So I think there's probably an overlap in these two models here. And I think that, yeah, there needs to be an acceptance at some point that, hey, um, I could continue like this or I could do something different. And to have that conversation with yourself is a great place to start. Absolutely. Fantastic. So I think if you look at the diagram, sure. the the curve is kind of going in an upward trajectory at this, mm. at this point. So you're probably feeling quite excited about the fact that you've made You've accepted that change is going to happen yeah. and you've got to a point of making a decision. Yeah. And at this point, it looks like you're feeling pretty positive. So is that sort of typical? It can be. You can feel very positive about a decision. But usually with the human mind, because you've got gunfire going off in your limbic brain, there's so many different emotions that sway why you think you should do something. It's good to be quite logical about it. You can get some help, get a coach or get an outside opinion on, hey, this is the kind of dilemma I'm in. What do you think from where you're sitting? What do you think? Um, there's a part of your brain in your frontal lobe called the orbitofrontal cortex, and that helps you make decisions. And when you are stressed and unsure, you can kind of like waver between the two. Do I paint the wall red or do I paint it blue? Well, if I paint it blue, then it's going to look like the sky and I'll feel relaxed. But if I paint it red, then I'll feel really excited and energized. And I don't know. And you get this analysis paralysis, right? And a lot of people get stuck there when they're like, oh, you know what? I accept that I'm in conflict, but I can't take the jump. I can't take the leap. can't make a change because I've got analysis paralysis. So what you can do, practical again, mm -hmm. is draw a four quadrant grid. This will help your orbital frontal cortex make a decision. I'll talk the listeners through this four quadrants, right? So um, you draw four quadrants and the two columns will be labeled pros and cons. Yeah. That's what we'll label the columns. The two rows are going to be labeled as per your options. Stay in my job, change. Okay. What you then do is you focus on one quadrant at a time. And this actually starts to debias your mind from all your impulses, right? Because you have to now focus on, all right, what are the pros on staying? And write an exhaustive list on that. Fill that quadrant. What are the cons of staying? Then what are the pros of uh, changing and what are the cons of changing? And then if you look at the diagonals and look at which two boxes on the diagonals are heavier and more populated, 
that actually is telling you what you are favoring, whether it is to stay or leave or whether to paint your living room red or blue or whatever, right? This is a really simple, practical way to help get out of analysis paralysis and like move with a decision. But like I said, you don't have to do that yourself. You can get around someone that can help you with that too. So when, when would it be helpful to engage other people and... I guess if you're uncertain about if it's a career change, a certain career, engaging with people who are knowledgeable or within that profession yeah, it's is the, helpful. Yeah, it's re- it really is helpful. Uh, and there are a bunch of psychological and even neuroscientific reasons for getting around the right people. Emotions are contagious. We know that from head scanner studies. Wow. Yeah. So if you put like person A in a head scanner and person B in a head scanner and watch their brain activity, you get person A to tell a story with highs and lows and twists and turns and, and watch their brain activity as that story is being told. You see a replication to a large extent of brain activity in the hearer, which means that our mind in a sense is not confined to the extent of our skull. Um, we can have an overlapping effect on each other. So when you hang out with someone who's energized and positive and optimistic, how do you feel? So You feel better, yeah. right? If you hang out with an energy vampire, you never want to go back. Right? It's so true. <laughs> so getting around the right people is important. For me, I actually didn't have access to like people that had non-entrepreneurial bone right. in their body. Cause I grew up in a kind of like public servant medical sector sort of, I had no one to really talk to. And I think that it's, it's really important that you, you find the right people that have got a grid for what you're talking about. Cause you know, people just can believe that what you're up thinking about is just like not possible. In, cause only because that is in their mind, it's not possible. Right. Right. And now we're back to the Gollum effect. Nah, I don't think, I think you would just dream it. Like stick to the job, you know, what are you going to do for, what if it doesn't work? What if, what if you don't pay the mortgage? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And, um, and I think it is important to engage the right people. I think an element of those sort of doubting, questioning, um, perceptions are helpful because, if you yes. still want to do it, regardless of these comments, yes. that can kind of tell you something too. I th- you are absolutely right because what you don't want to go- get into is what is what is known as Pollyanna positivity. So, from the old American book Pollyanna, who was super happy. There's one thing to be optimistic, but optimism isn't fully itself without it being balanced with critical thinking. So I think you're right. I think people going, well, yeah, okay, that's good. But like, uh, if this happens, then what? Talk to me about that. So it's about helping you de-bias your mind, but- um, Or uh, helping you have a contingency plan or, you know, thinking right of all enough, of the, yeah. Totally. And as an entrepreneur, it's, that's when it gets frustrating for an entrepreneur because they're like, I don't want to hear any of yeah. this. Shut up. <laughs> like, Oh, for goodness sake, you never believe in me. Door slam, out you go. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so frustrating. That must be really like uh, difficult, you know, a, a difficult thing to navigate. But you're right. I think getting around the right people at the right time, um, uh, being optimistic. Optimism is shown not only to be associated with uh, more successful outcomes in life, and that's finances and even health, but a driver of better outcomes. Optimism is a driver of better outcomes, but optimism is only optimism if it's balanced with critical thinking. Amazing. Yeah. So on this curve, we're now sort of going yeah. on a, a down. So we've 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 accepted. We've made a decision. We've had some uncertainty. We've spoken to some people. Mm. We've now let doubt and fear creep in. We're feeling okay. a, a little bit. So I feel that this is sort of personal doubt. I'm not good enough. Or do I? Can sure. I see myself doing this? It's that sort of. Yeah. What what's going on there? Yeah, man. I think I run into doubt, like all the time at moments, you know, and it's down to my mental discipline to, um, override that with a better narrative. I think, do you know, think like, do you doubt like we, we run into that a lot, don't we? Is, a lot. Is, so, so from your perspective, you're, you know, a trained psychologist, yeah. so you know, yeah. psychiatrist, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know how to handle such situations yet it still affects you. Mm. So how do you personally give yourself a new narrative? What goes, what happens? So, yeah, I sometimes like if I've got like thoughts that are just unhelpful for me and just talking myself down, I'll literally try and see like in my mind's eye, this is my imagination now, okay? Uh, I'd like literally like chain the thought 
and drag it to the ground and drag it on its face in front of like that better narrative in front of the truth is what I would call it. And I would like try and like contrast the doubt and frame that as, well, that's a lie. That's not actually what's true here. Like, uh, you're not here to fail. You're here to be a blessing to other people or, you know, you have, this is, this is not where, you know, this is not the end of the road for you. The truth is that I never came this far to only have come this far. So I literally try and clash those thoughts together. And I literally like try and chain the thought and drag it on his face on, the, on a cobblestone road toward like a, a, what I would call a truthful narrative. Well, thank you for sharing that. You're okay. wondering whether you should or shouldn't have. And I think that's <laughs> super interesting because you can give us the models. But I like the fact that yours is that sort of in a way dramatic it's it's chained yeah. it's dragged you know on its it, face on its face across yeah. cobbles i think the other thing is that sometimes i have to go back into the first aid camp i might go through a bad patch and like i feel like did you ever watch ninja warrior or like on daytime TV? you're not a daytime tv kind of person you're busy you're industrial you're you, know, you need i'm answering for you, you never, <laughs> did you watch ninja warrior don't think so there's a the ninja warrior it's like physical like challenge gauntlet of obstacles and the last obstacle on one of the levels is what is called the warped wall and it's like a vertical wall that bends back on itself. You have to run up it and grab with your hand, lift yourself up. And many people run and slip down it, run and slip down it. And I feel as an entrepreneur that I hit the Ninja Warrior wall, warped wall a lot, right? So I feel like, because you need energy, you need belief, you need optimism, you need drive, you need execution, all that kind of stuff. And you think, oh, I just can't do this. It's not working. It's not working. Or that talk, I feel uh, that talk didn't feel as good as the last talk. Or, you know, the ratings weren't quite as high or or that deal didn't get closed. And you've slipped down. And sometimes I feel like, oh, man, you know, my mindset's in a bad place right now. Now I'm in the first aid camp and I need to kind of like, look, regroup, reset, Um exercise is a really important part of that for me. Sometimes it's hard to control the mind with the mind. You need the body to, to restart your mental state. So, you know, getting the exercise, getting the sleep um, and, uh, and, and going again. So sometimes I have to regroup in the first aid camp and fight doubt and fear that way. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you for sharing these personal insights. I think yeah. that's, it's just really, I think, great for people to hear that even you are like them sure. and we all have to, you know, drag ourselves through these moments. 100%. But we come out the other side more resilient, more positive. 100%. Fantastic. So the next phase is sort of the upward trajectory now. Okay. So you've made the career change. Okay. You're experimenting, you're getting some certainty and okay. you're, you're moving all the way up to sort of confidence. Yes. So what those three what's, steps, what's involved? What's going there? Well, you know, um, the, the motivational circuits in our brain are um, great friends of ours. Uh, in, in some ways, they're very simplistic and in some ways, absolutely mysterious. Simplistic in the sense that if you do something well, your brain goes, ding, 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 ding. Well done. That's good. And then your dopamine goes up and you feel good and you feel more energized to the point that you go, all right, let's take the next step. And then you push and then you get it. And then those circuits go ding, 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 ding. Well done. <laughs> you are great. And so the dopamine goes up and then your serotonin kicks in a little bit and you feel a little bit more fulfilled. And you're like, hey, you know what? This is good. Let's climb another step on the staircase. Ding, 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 ding. So what I'm trying to say is that when you provide for your brain some evidence that your actions are profitable. And when I say profitable, I mean, in the root Latin word, profit comes from a word that means progress. When you create progress, when your actions create progress, that sends a feedback cycle to your mind going, Hey, you look, you're, you're kind of doing that, right? So sometimes rather than wait for the motivation to come, you need momentum to prime the pump to get the motivation. And I think that's maybe what your curve is tapping into there a little bit in terms of I'm experimenting, it's going well, it's evidence to my mind. And you see what I'm doing here. I'm going back to the mind action profit blueprint that I created, which is basically what you think has an impact on how you take action, how you take action has an impact on the profitability of your actions. And that creates feedback and that can be a, a good thing. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on the career change curve. We will okay. put that in the show notes for people to refer to. As someone running your own business, can you paint a picture of what success and financial stability means for you? 
<laughs> when I get there, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, that's the honest answer. And uh, I'll tell you where my mind is at at the moment. So I am a corporate event speaker, TV psychiatrist. Right now, what that means for me is that I have to be there to get paid. That's just the nature of what I do. I am very interested in creating a scalable arm of what I do, um, which means creating digital resources and passive revenue or semi-passive revenue. Um, and so I really want to explore how to do that in a valuable way to people. You know, I really want to like it's and I've done this a little bit. I've been able to run workshops for tens of thousands of people people in an organization by not being there, uh, figured a way I had to do that last year. And that's really fascinating for me because, um, it allows people to access my content at a time that suits them. Yeah. So that's a pro for them. Um, and I have to, it's like what we're doing right now. We're recording once for many to consume the value here. And so I'm re I'm really interested in exploring that. And I think that'll be a really important part of uh, the, 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 the bigger plan, the bigger plan. Um, and again, going back to my earlier days of uh, having met Gregor Howitt, uh, who uh, in some ways prompted me to kickstart this, uh, there are lots of mantras from him as a financial advisor that I think are very wise. Um, and, um, you know, he's just full of good wisdom and education. So I would say that, you know, it's those lessons that for me and my wife actually are learning from him. So that's just a really important part of it. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm sure that people are going to want to be able to find you after this episode. So where can they find you? What exciting projects have you got coming up? share anything you would like to with our guests. Sure. Uh, so my big passion is corporate event speaking. Uh, so keynotes for audiences. Uh, if you're interested in that, go to my website, Dr. Tarika. So it's D-R-T-H-A-R-A-K-A, drtarika.com. And there's a contact form. And if you want to consume high quality brain-based content, uh, for free, go to my Instagram. I think that's probably a good place to go. I want to build more on that. So that's at Dr. Tarika UK. Fantastic. What I can say, if you do engage with Dr. T, you will not be disappointed. High energy, high entertainment, high education, professionalism off the scale. So please do get in touch. Ah. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Gee, such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Switch with Dr. T, TV psychiatrist and corporate speaker. Listen to this episode on Spotify. Follow us so that you know when new episodes are being released. 